This is The Point, professional investing in Australia with Pendle. Welcome to The Point podcast from Pendle. Seldom has there been as much volatility in financial markets as there has been in 2022. There's been a sell-off across almost all asset classes and inflation and interest rates seem to keep rising. This week in Australia, the Labor government handed down its first budget and September consumer price index figures hit at an annualised rate of 7.3%. To make sense of it all, I welcome back Tim Hext, Head of Government Bond Strategies at Pendle. Tim, what do you make of it all? G'day, Sean. Yeah, look, it's not unexpected. Reserve Bank has been referring to inflation being around the high sevens by the end of this year for some time. The fact that we've seen it and the fact the underlying inflation numbers, which I'll come to in a minute, are also a bit stronger, shows you that the inflation theme is still very much here, still very much front and centre, and will remain so into next year. Okay, so when we talk about interest rates, we know that the Reserve Bank likes to look at that underlying inflation figure. What's it showing? Well, the underlying annually is 6.1, but perhaps the concern is the momentum of it. So just to give you a little bit of a picture, headline inflation, the highest quarter we had was the first quarter this year, and that was partly driven by, obviously, fuel prices taking off, which have now come back a bit. But trimmed mean, which is our preferred measure for underlying inflation, where you sort of cut off the top and bottom 15% of moves, what we see so far this year is 1.5 in the first quarter, 1.6 in the second quarter, and now 1.8 in the third quarter. So underlying inflation is still rising on a quarterly basis, even as headline inflation is starting to come off a little bit. So that would concern them. The 6.1 is, is is sort of not too far from what they thought, but it is a bit higher. Okay, Tim. So in terms, you know, historically, where do these numbers sit? Well, look, for myself and maybe some of our older listeners, um, <laughs> it's, it does bring back memories. And if it is bringing back memories, this was the highest headline number on a year-on-year basis since 1990. And really, for me, delving back into my school days on goods prices, and goods prices are up 9.6% annually, it's like almost 10, that is the highest number since 1983. And I do remember back in the early 1980s when I would visit the school tuck shop, pretty much prices went up 10% every year. (laughs) The the meat pie. Yeah, I don't know if it was caught, obviously it was caught inflation back then and we kind of knew the word. I'm not sure I fully understood what drove it, et cetera. But it was just that thing. And that is exactly what the bank would be concerned about, central banks, that you know people start to expect those sorts of changes. But yes, so historically, we are back to an era we haven't seen for uh, a number of decades. Okay. So just before we get on to rates and what it means for rates, what about the budget earlier in the week? Was there much there that financial markets should be worried about? Well, the budget, in a sense, was a pretty, I'd call it a pretty straight bat, I guess, for a first Labor budget that addressed a lot of the sort of classic Labor issues, and I'm sure everyone's gone into that in the press. From sort of a market's eye point, I think it was perhaps a missed opportunity, although an understandable missed opportunity, given we've got another budget in six months, of showing a little bit more fiscal restraint. Now, deficits themselves are not bad things. It's the context of the deficit. And the context of a deficit at the moment is that we still have an inflation problem. You know, the very simple way to look at a deficit, if you want to talk about it, is that the government is handing out more money to the economy than it's then draining from the economy. And what that means is adds to demand. Now, 
Obviously, it had one eye on the fact they didn't want to go down that path too much. But if you look into the future and structural deficits, and they, for the first time I've seen, they're publishing structural numbers now, not just sort of cyclical. Yeah. We have structural deficits around 2% GDP into the, for the next 10 years. Now, again, I've got no problem per se with that, provided there's capacity in the economy to absorb it. And the best way to think about it is the government should when there's excess capacity in the economy, spend more than it rate and then it drains out simply so that they can absorb that capacity because that capacity means more jobs for people, etc. But that is not the situation we're at the moment. We're very much in the opposite situation. We just don't have enough resources at this point in time. And really, with 3.5% unemployment and with commodity prices as strong as they are, the government should be much closer to a surplus. Okay, so let's wrap all that up. The budget and the inflation figures. What's it mean for rates? Well, just getting back to the inflation numbers, I, th- I think the thing which remains a concern is the breadth of inflation. Yep. You know, if you look down this quarter's numbers, there's some candidates in there which probably wouldn't surprise people. I mean, international travel is up 15% or 16%, I should say. Probably no surprises there. Yep. But, you know, you've got items like furniture up 6.6%. Now, maybe a little bit of the weaker Aussie dollar might been playing a part but you know that shows you the breadth of what we're getting i mean you do get things like the housing numbers remain strong and food items remain strong but i think you can be a little bit more confident in some of those areas anyway that inflation is probably peaking at the moment and as supply constraints fix themselves yeah that the picture will ease but really the way to think about it before we get on to rates is the central bank's globally, but you know, in Australia as well, it's a kind of a, a race against time situation where you want to have enough patience that you don't send the economy into some sort of major recession. But at the same time, you also want to hope and in some ways make sure that inflation doesn't hang around at these levels long enough that it starts to become circular and starts to become in, implicit in expectations. So this is the key thing. After a decades of low inflation, expectations continue to be pretty well anchored. But the more time you go through inflation up at these levels, the more potential there is for that to become unhinged. And that's what really will concern central banks. You know, if you ask people on average, what do you think inflation is for the next five or 10 years? If they start coming back with four or 5% answers, as opposed to two or 3% answers that they currently have, then you have got a different set of issues. And those issues start to feed through into things like wages a lot more. So there's a bit of a race against time. I think the Reserve Bank is showing some patience here, more than so than the US. But then again, the US has a much sort of bigger wage problem than we do at this point. So they will tighten 25 next month at the start of November. This number means that I think prior to this number, they probably thought they might not do something in December. I think this number is sufficiently concerning that they will also follow through with another 25 in December. That'll take the official cash rate to 3.1 at the end of the year. The problem then they have in early 23 is the next CPI number we get, which comes out at the end of January, is also going to be a strong one. And this is where you continue to see energy prices playing a part. And that sort of sets the stage probably for them having to do something in early 23 as well. So really what you're looking at is cash rates probably getting up towards 3.35, maybe as high as 3.6. Then in the middle of next year, you really start to see likely weakness globally, 
from all these rate hikes, particularly in the US. You also start to see a lot of fixed rate mortgages rolling to floating. So that buffer, which has protected a lot of people so far, starts to disappear and you see a real peak around the middle of next year in, in, in people going from 2% mortgage rates on their fixed rates up to probably 6% floating rates. And that's really obviously going to put a big break. So I, I don't see cash rates in this cycle going higher than 3.6. The market is looking for a little bit above four. So there is a bit of value in bonds because bonds are sort of reflecting that expectation that cash might go higher. But the key takeaway I have from the last couple of days is that this inflation issue it's not going to sort of solve itself sufficiently quickly that we can call an end to rate hikes anytime soon. And that's a message, I think, which means that bond markets also are probably not going to stage a strong rally. But, you know, we are getting the ingredients, particularly globally more so than Australia, where if you look at the second half of next year, you could be getting a lot of weakness globally feeding through to the need for lower rates. So my message for people is again, and this has been a consistent message for a number of months now, start to think about getting some bonds in your portfolio as a defensive instrument. I don't think necessarily they're going to rally hard near term, but if you can own this 10-year bonds in Australia at 4% on a two or three-year outlook, I think you're going to do well out of them and they are going to give you that buffer should the slowdown prove to be stronger. Tim, thank you for talking to The Point. Thank you, Sean. That was Tim Hext, Head of Government Bond Strategies at Pendle. You've been listening to The Point Podcast from Pendle. I'm Sean Aylmer.